You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking with your friends. I am so excited to be back again. We're doing another episode of The Swamp Explained, and uh, I have been, I've had a flaky month, and uh, thankfully Rob Cortell has been after me to do an episode, and there has been a lot that has changed. Now, if you're not familiar with The Swamp Explained, I am joined by Rob Cortell, a 45-year fly on the wall of Washington, D.C., and he's worked for Republican presidential campaigns, government agencies like the EPA, and has been confirmed by the Senate to the U.S. Maritime Commission. He's also a candidate. He was a candidate for Congress and Senate. He's also spent years working in the private technology sector, working with startup companies. Now, given all of this experience and his iconoclastic viewpoints. He gives us great insight into the swamp and what makes up our nation's capital. And I have been fascinated by Washington politics since I was a boy. And I love it. Boy, are you sick? I'm a sick... (laughs) I am one sick puppy, Rob. Yeah. And... I suffer the same disease. We must be contagious. Yeah. And you wear masks. I can't think of a time crazier than the last month since we last were together talking. Uh, the, I think we were talking about Justin Amash had gotten into the race. Well, he dropped out. And then, right. you know, Joe Jorgensen won the nomination. And then, and then, you know, Donald Trump seemed like he was kind of getting the coronavirus stuff under control and Democratic governors were praising him. And you started to go, maybe he can pull this out. You know, maybe he's starting to, to figure out the job. And then all hell has broken loose. <laughs> We've got an all number of things to talk about. We've got John Bolton yeah. to talk about. We've got the church incident. We've got the protests and his response to that. We've got uh, what else has gone on? The Supreme Court. There is a ton of stuff that has happened, and the presidential race is starting to heat up. So, what is lots of illustrations of the swamp at work? Just good and bad, good and bad. Yeah, and then the firing of the the attorney, the attorney general firing uh, the prosecutor going after Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, which weirdly puts in the role of the fired prosecutor a person that convicted Roy Cohn. So, right. <laughs> so just so the the woman taking over uh, that particular uh, post in the justice center put uh, 72 year old woman very capable yep. put um, put away Roy Cohn uh, Trump's original lawyer and the guy that he wants Bob Barr to be. So all very well, interesting. and and uh, the guy that who was fired was uh, the guy who Trump himself put in after firing his predecessor. <laughs> was that Preet Barra that was fired before? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, so, as you've been watching the news, you've been around for a long time watching this, been involved, been in front of the Senate. Like, what have just you been in your impressions of Trump and politics over the last month? Well, you know, um, I actually, so the swamp is, I think you and I have determined it's a good thing and a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the unfortunate aspects of the Trump presidency is that when he was trying to go after the bad elements of the swamp, he's really failed because he hasn't put people in the right place and hadn't put the right people in the wrong in the right places, put them in the wrong place. And and so he has no control over what goes on. Right. Some things, fortunately, I, I, I just had to tell you, one of my friends, uh, we were doing a Zoom with a friend and he stood up and he had a, uh, a Cuomo Fauci for president T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that didn't last very long. <laughs> no. So uh, I think the big loser uh, is probably right now is Bill Barr. Mm. Um, 
You know, we, we can talk about the walk in the park and we can talk about this fiasco, uh, you know, in the Manhattan, you know, federal prosecutor's office and all that. But, uh, you know, Barr, uh, he's generally been viewed around town as a, a, a good guy, intelligent guy. He is a product of a conservative, you know, education and everything else. But he's been a major member of the, the establishment. And maybe the establishment's kind of the fertile ground for the swamp. But um, but he's two things this week. You, in the last two weeks, you can kind of finger him for. One is mishandling of the prosecutor deal. Uh, he uh, apparently the deal there is that because the prosecutor had been appointed under um, and appointed under an interim appointment or some such thing, he could only be fired by the president. He could not be uh, kind of relieved by the attorney general. And since he would not um, turn in a a resignation, he had to be fired. So all of a sudden, uh, the president has to fire him. Barr had to go get him to do that. And I suspect he didn't want him to do that for all the reasons we know, the media and everything else. So that was a screw up on Barr's part. And then uh, the park, um, you know, I have have some friends who were in D.C. at the park um, when the police started charging and doing the tear gas canisters and, and uh it, it appears that it seems there were a couple things that were true. First of all, um, Barr claims, and I'm willing to take his word for this, that he had issued an order uh, earlier in the day for the park to be cleared, and, and they just did it without thinking about the curfew and everything else. I don't know if that's technically true or not. Um, it appears that the people doing the clearing were not necessarily the people trained in crowd control. So it was the park police and others like that. Now the park police deal with crowds, but I can't remember the last time the park police had to deal with a riot or anything like that. Um, so, and then Barr went on to say that uh, tear gas, uh, that the, the pepper spray was not chemical. And uh, I have to admit that I did not know that pepper spray was chemical. I, I'm not surprised that, you know, I sort of figured it was some kind of natural capsicum or something, but, uh, I, you know, I read the post like everybody else in the Times, and obviously it is chemical. So that he was probably ignorant like I am. But, you know, that was just a screw up. And um, the fact that uh, they brought the generals in who had to turn around and apologize and the Secretary of Defense who had to turn around and apologize in, in order to maintain their personal integrity and, and uh, with the people they work for and, and, frankly, their constitutional duty to remain above and out of civilian affairs – um, you, you know, I think Barr is the big loser on this, and I suspect it will resonate in town in D.C. among people who know him well. Um, and then, and then, you know, Barr and uh, that crowd also picked Gorsuch, and um, and uh, uh, you know, they've done two picks now for the court, and everybody's hoping they're hoping that somehow uh, Bader Ginsburg is going to. Uh, uh, Ginsburg is going to retire or something. I think she's going to go down with a ship. Oh, at <laughs> least what? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a ghoulish. She's, she's going to wait. It's such but, a ghoulish tradition that goes on on both sides. Oh, like, of course. You know. But uh, so now, so this week, you know, Gorsuch writes and Gorsuch writes the opinion uh, on LGBTQ um, that it's covered in the, under the law, non discrimination. You know, it's it's about sex. Essentially now, adding to the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, now I think it was LGBT. kind of a tortuous. I'm happy they did it. I, I can, I'm happy that you can, you know, you can make a tortuous argument in either direction, I suspect. 
it was. I'm happy he he ruled that way, and he was joined by John Roberts, which sort of makes it, you know, uh, okay with the establishment and gives a, a fig leaf. But who picked uh, Gorsuch and these guys? It was uh, it was the uh, uh, the, the society and Barr and all these guys, the Federalist Barr, Society, yeah, Federalist Society, and and you know he he's all part of that deal. So um, if I were worrying about my job this week uh, in Washington, I'd, uh, who, who would that be? I'd probably be Bill Barr. Yeah, and, well, the, the room- and, and he's kind of a straight up guy, you know, he just. He, Is but, he? Because I get serious Dick Cheney vibes when I watch him interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's Dick Cheney. I, I, first of all, I don't know if he's quite as smart as Dick Cheney, <laughs> but he is a very intelligent guy. And he he's had a good reputation, but you know, it's these are some major screw ups, and and uh, he's in my opinion, he's kind of he should be thinking about the next job. Maybe he'll hang around till the election and do, well, do his would thing. It, then would it be possible that he'd add to the list of people that Trump fires, and then you know between now and election day, he's trying to. He joins Rex Tillerson and Mattis and Bolton and joins the chorus of this guy's not fit to be president. No, I, I think he I think he's like a lot of these guys in the administration and women, too, by guys. I mean, men and women, you know, who have decided that there is something uh, underlying here that they're working for, that they need to that they just have to hold their nose and do it and work for Trump. And, you know, my wife. At, you know, at the beginning of all this, uh, at, right after the election, said, like, who would ever work for Donald Trump? And I said, anybody the president asks will do it for God and country kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 they do. And it's, it's a good thing. Um, you would hope that good people would work for people you don't like uh, uh, on, on behalf of the country. And they're not all good and they're not all perfect and everything else. But I think... I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, so this is a tension that I was thinking about today as I watched the hour-long interview with John Bolton, um, which, Mm, you know, here's a person that I have absolutely no love for in terms of ideology. I mean, but when you listen to his critique of foreign policy in this interview, I couldn't disagree with him more. But when you listen to his critique of Donald Trump, the man, and the president, you go, there isn't any arguing with, like, my eyes match what this man is saying about his administration. And you get the sense in listening to that, and this is the tension that I think populists or libertarians or progressive, left progressive people, people who are not friendly with the establishment necessarily, they look at it and they go, well, there shouldn't be an establishment. There shouldn't be a swamp. There shouldn't be that continual bureaucracy it should be an ever-evolving door whereas when you watch john bolton he he has spent a lifetime building this system wants to protect this system knew what he was getting himself into but thought he had the hubris that he could stop the train wreck that is president donald trump and and he couldn't and now he's well, left without so friends. There, are two th- there are two things you, that are true in what you're saying although it's not the ever-evolving door it's the ever-revolving door yeah Thank you. Um, and um, there's no evolving door. <laughs> no, no, no evolving door here. Uh, I can't say that the swamp that there's much evolution in the swamp. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Bolton and uh, I do think an awful lot of these guys are convinced that you know if they're there, they're going to save the republic. They can save the president. They they're 
everyone thinks they're smarter than the president. That's why Mike Pence took the job, by the way. I mean, that's, you know, from his oh. mouth to my friend's ears. I mean, he thought he could he could wrangle them. Oh, they all do. And uh, he's unwranglable. <laughs> and, and of course, you remember when he said, I can be very presidential. And uh, what he I think what he meant by that is he thinks of the presidential model as uh, Putin. All right. so he can be very much like that. But but uh, Bolton, I, I've never been a fan of Bolton's either. I, I, you know, I do think that Trump aptly described him um, when he quit, which was he, he always wants to go to war. Yeah. And, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. But, you know, Bolton is a hawk all the way. And and, you know, I think a lot of people voted for Trump. Uh, on the basis he was going to get us out of all these places. He was going to get us out of Europe. He's going to get us out of Korea. I mean, why the hell are we still there kind of attitude? And there are reasons we are there, and you can argue about that. But but there is a kind of uh, fatigue with Americans being everywhere on the planet and um, kind of American adventurism. And we it's all cloaked in um, foreign policy stuff, um, saving this person and that person and that society and protect our interests. And, and it is all of those things and none of those things. So, uh, so Bolton uh, came in and his instincts are diametrically opposed to Trump's. He, he just doesn't, that, that is not his instinct. And so I am not surprised he and Trump didn't get along. I'm surprised he stayed as long as he stayed. Um, uh, I, I don't think he's a particularly uh, meritocratic guy when you, um, in terms of this book, he obviously was taking notes the whole time so he could make sure that he would come out smelling like a, well, I'm not sure he came out smelling like a rose, <laughs> but no, but, I mean, did, did you watch most of the Sunday shows or did you see the interview? Yeah, I, I saw most of them. Yeah. I saw part of the interview. There wasn't, there wasn't one Democrat that said anything nice about him. There wasn't one Republican yeah, that right. said anything. It was really interesting to see this guy who, you know, is just sort of a moderate, Midwesterner watching these shows, I go, man, what this guy say, what, what he essentially said in the interview that was pretty damning against Trump, which confirmed what we all know yeah. to be true, is that he's not intellectually curious. They would have to explain the same thing over and over again. He would, for instance, the, the 1954 line with the DMZ between North and South Korea, they had to explain why that existed over and over and over again. He doesn't have, he doesn't have, he he just reacts, you know, he's just a, yeah. he is more. Well, he's transactional. He is very transactional. That's what that is. There is less of an intellect there than I thought based on what Bolton was saying. And, and, you know, Trump is a genius at getting attention for himself. But when you hear Bolton explain Donald Trump, it takes the 8D chess theory and throws it out the window. This person is just completely <laughs> In in it for his own reelection, he said, the, the uh, Martha Raddatz said, you know, uh, it's been said he doesn't have an attention span. And Bolton said, that's true. He has almost no attention span for being president. But when it comes <laughs> to how it relates to his reelection, he has an infinite attention span. How things right. relate to him. Well, he doesn't want to be seen as a failure. He doesn't want to be the guy who right. loses the election. So everything is focused on that right now. Yes. Um, but I, I, I'm just going to tell you again, though, a lot of Bolton's criticism, if you can stand back and you take Bolton's name off of it and you take Trump's name off of it um, and you get right down to positions, just to positions, um, the public will have a lot of the same point of view that Trump did. Mm -hmm. uh, even on the left, which is this whole issue of why are we still there? Um, and and um, I was struck by one of the things Bolton said that, you know, I knew that 
talking to the Koreans was hopeless. I mean, that was, and would undercut us. Well, sure. It's, it's hopeless, but um, is it better to talk or not to talk? Right. And I think a lot of the public kind of feels like that. And it's the same thing with the Israelis and the Palestinians. Is it better to talk or not to talk? You know, uh, Dennis Ross, who I've known 35 years, 40 years, has, you know, he talked to him for 30 years and, and still no solution. So I'm glad to have somebody else talking to him now, even if it's Jared. And uh, and Bolton does represent a a wing of the establishment of the foreign policy establishment of the United States. So he is a consummate, consummate swamp creature. And 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 I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean it in the broad sense of, you know, we have this swamp and there are people and things who live there. And and sometimes it's good that they do what they do. And sometimes it's not so. You, I mean, you nailed it. it. You nailed it on the head, though. It, it is as you watch it. That's exactly the critique. As, as you watched him defend the institutions, you're just like, yeah, but you're wrong. Donald Trump is right. terrifying as president. But what he says and what he some of what he does, you're like some of what he says. You're like some of what he does. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of like, yeah, I, 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 I'm anti John Bolton. I get where I agree with Donald Trump on this. But like I talked to my my dad this weekend and he goes. I, I watched that rally Friday night. I could, I've never heard a president say that many cuss words, listed all the cuss words he remembered. He goes, he's so grotesque. What an awful human being. But, man, my business can't afford Joe Biden. I'm, I'm just going to have to hold my nose and vote for Donald Trump because yeah. he's right yeah. on these issues. And I think that's a lot of the calculation where people will be. Well, and, of course, we have I, my friend who was visiting us this week. I, I can't give you all the details, but uh, it's very heavily involved in in uh, uh, around polling and other stuff. He's not working with a presidential campaign or anything like that, but he is deeply mired in all of that. And, you know, he's insistent when you look at the polls that Trump's base is uh, walking away and everything else. And, and I have to say, when I look at these polls, including the Fox poll and, and the one that had Biden 55, uh, 55 to uh, 43 um, and you know, it's startling, but I am not convinced even that is it shows that Trump is going to lose. I think um, consistently these polls uh, are leaving out uh, anywhere between 8 to 12, 13 percent of the voters mm. who express no opinion. Um, they are uh, they are not they, some percentage are coming off of Trump. Um, um, and I I think they'll go back. And, uh, you know, Biden is not very inspiring at the moment. And and uh, I think reminding people how wrong they were isn't going to uh, get them very far. I mean, it's, it's, we have this conversation among several of us about the use of the term racist versus unconscious bias, you know, which, by the way, is a term they use. They use the latter in education. Um, uh, and it, the language you use is very important. I just there's nothing that Biden says and so far that is terribly inspirational to make people want to vote for him. It's all anti, but I, I just don't think, and I'm, you know, of course I'm following the polls, you know, in the key States and real clear politics and everything else. And a, you need to look to see if it's likely voters B you need to look to see how many are undecided or express no opinion. And when you do that, it's still murky at the edges, you know, Trump can lose by probably six, eight million votes. And still win the election because half of those are in California alone and the other half are in New York. 
So yeah, I, I learned my lesson in 2016 not to follow 538 for all my political information, and I've spent well, a lot. That's of- because it was probabilistic, <laughs> not because it was it wasn't informed. It was probabilistic. Yeah, and so what I've tried to do now is talk to a wide variety of people, and I, I got my hair cut on Saturday, and this guy's not a Republican. Yeah, a, and you're looking pretty nice Thank there. you. He's a blue-collar <laughs> blue guy, not a Republican, and he goes, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but you know, I think of things in nuance and try to break this stuff apart for people, but you don't remember that most people just view the, the news as flat and it's all connected. And, he's, yeah. and he said, you know, I was out of work for two months, I finally, I, they didn't get to my unemployment until I could go back to work. So I didn't get unemployment. I was out of work without income for something that was, I'm not going to call it a hoax, but it didn't seem that serious. I feel bad for all those sick people, but I'm sitting here wondering why I didn't get paid for two months. And then I turn on the news and see all these people out there protesting and it's okay for them to go out, but I'm not allowed to go to work. To per- and right. then when I see the people who are protesting on my behalf, they're the, the villains, and Donald Trump's the villain, and then they're tearing down founding father statues, and I just right. have to start, and he goes, I just have to start to wonder, like, at what point do I start to think this is all really a Soros thing? You know, yeah. and that's the level that people kind of look at this stuff. They think of it in flat terms. It's all connected. The shutdown goes into the Bill Gates pandemic, you know, and so it's... I don't. I think anybody who thinks that Donald Trump is guaranteed a loss is not paying attention to the resentment that a lot of people no. who are not even MAGA people, just regular people, they see the hypocrisy on the the news around the 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 pandemic and and rallies. They see they see founding fathers like the Teddy Roosevelt statue is gross, and I'm okay with it. Like if you look at the statue, you're just like <laughs> take that down, but. The, the reality is most people look at that and they see it as an attack. The reality is he was a progressive. Yes, he was a eugenicist. He was a gross person. Or they see but, Grant being torn down. And they, they're, they're, they're willing to listen on Confederate statues, but once you start tearing down Caesar Rodney and founding father statues, that's when it's a bridge too far. And they go, maybe Donald Trump is right about the leftist horde coming to invade my Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, yeah, and you, you opened the, the program by saying that you just thought it was an incredibly contentious period. And yeah. I do think it's that. Uh, I, you know, uh, however, you know, we've talked in some of these other episodes about uh, back in the 60s. So I went yeah. to high school. Uh, I, I grew up, uh, I went to college in the 60s. I went to college in 1968. You know, we had race, we had uh, race riots, we had political riots, we had Vietnam riots, we had um, we had daisies and rifles and blood on walls and and bombings. I think there were some 300 and some bombings in the South and black churches over that period that you don't read about um, lynchings. And um, and I will tell you that many of us thought the world was somehow going to come to an end. Um, and um, and it did not. Um, the the the. Parts of the government just work. So security checks go out. Um, you know, uh, health care checks get taken care of. Um, the, the roads get built if, uh, if they ever fund them. Um, so these are all the parts of the swamp that you really want to kind of work. Um, it's the political class that, um, that are the showboats of the swamp <laughs> that, <laughs> that are the problem all the time. And um, uh, this is, 
you know, is this different or better or worse in the 60s? Um, we haven't had any assassinations. Um, uh, remember Kennedy and, uh, and Martin Luther King and, uh, and others before that and during that. So uh, who knows? Maybe we will yet, but I hope not. Um, those things are pretty disturbing. And, uh, but I, I just, right now, I, don't, I think the public is engaged in, very engaged in ways that are relatively constructive right now. You know, I think the fact that businesses are, by and large, trying to figure out their way through COVID, which is diff- hugely difficult, trying to find their way through um, Black Lives Matter and all of that. And, and of course, now, now there's, that's actually a good case of, of, um, of uh, bureaucracies and training and things that they really need to hop onto. You know, everybody's right. Not, not all cops are bad. Actually, they ought to say it more favorably. Probably ninety percent of ninety five percent, ninety eight percent are all good. Um, but as in everything with big numbers, there are always people who are off their reservation and people who don't interpret what they're trained correctly. So you know, like Black Lives Matter, just in the cop part, I think they've got to completely um, restart the way they train police in this country. We've gone there's too much kind of military uniforms and. SWAT, SWATs, and all those kinds of things, and that's changed attitudes and the shoot to kill. And and, and did you just, did you always feel that way, or have you evolved on that? I mean, as you've no, okay, I've, I've felt that way probably for fifteen years in the cops. I, I've never been a fan, um, just <laughs> because they, um, you know, I watched the Washington D.C. cops. I've never been fond of them. A lot of people <laughs> terrific. Uh, man, I should just underscore: I've never been arrested for anything. So. Um, but I, I think um, there's a kind of uh, a brusqueness and rudeness that creeps in over a while, and they're very hard jobs. But, you know, back in the Reagan administration, um, I worked with a guy named Adam Walensky, who was Bobby Kennedy's chief speechwriter, and he later became a police commissioner in, in the city of New York, and um, very successful and a, a, a great guy. He's probably in his late 70s or early 80s by now, but he came up with the idea of the, the what they call the police corps, which was the idea like ROTC, um, that you would give uh, college kids um, a tuition in exchange for four years in police. And they would receive training in the summers, just like you do in ROTC. And I tried to get, um, tried to get George Bush. That was in the middle of, I, I had, uh, I, uh, that was in probably 82. And um, I was in charge of Florida and, and uh, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend was uh, in charge of Maryland. And it was uh, quite an interesting crowd of people and a great idea. And Bush was going to do it. And then your favorite Dick Cheney um, <laughs> sort of, Oh no, it wasn't Dick Cheney. It was um, uh, uh, OMB. Uh, oh, shoot, Mitch. No, no, no. I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, it was, um, I can see his face. Uh, Rums- uh, Dick Rumsfeld. Uh, Dick Darman. Dick Darman. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of killed it, and and it was on the basis of uh, we we we're we're gonna win. We don't need one more issue. That yeah. was, you know, and and so uh, anyway, so that was that must have been eighty eight. That 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 was eighty eight because he was gonna win. And he did, and um, and then uh, Clinton did a version of that. But so I've you know I've been up close to the police too. And uh, they have very hard jobs, but this is one where we really have to rethink the entire structure of how we train and manage and, 
and uh, all of that. And, you know, that's that's a bureaucracy in a part of the swamp that really needs to be kind of upended a little bit. But so, yeah, I, I think, don't know how I got on that, but no, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, to me, the so I watched 60 Minutes last night. I've officially reached the age where yesterday was Father's Day. I'm not not a father, but I did grill out twice and watch 60 Minutes and mightily enjoyed <laughs> it. Uh, and they interviewed the head of the Minneapolis to police police department who once sued the MPD for racism and the guy that he sued is the head of the unions, <laughs> which Jeez. was crazy. And, you know, he, he went through a lot of different reforms and, and talked a lot about how things have improved in Minneapolis. And one of the things that he did immediately upon taking the office was start cutting low level of drug offenses. And to mm. me, the, the war on drugs, I think we've, we've, We've run out of gas on that. Like there is no yeah. in the millennial generation, especially there is no tolerance for the war on drugs whatsoever. You look at the opioid epidemic, you look at, at pot and how things have not de-escalated. You you watch these documentaries, seeing like the house I live in is one of the best documentaries ever, and you see the the systemic problems. That seems to be the tip well, of the spear in what we need to reform. For when but we talk about systemic that, racism, all the other things they have to do. So they have to respond for domestic violence. You mm -hmm. got some six-year-old kid in a in a high in a in a first grade uh, acting out and having a tantrum, and they call the cops yep. for that. Um, th that's crazy. Homeless. You know, th this has really got to that has to stop. So we have to decide what is essential. And you know, some cities are doing things like rather than if someone calls about domestic violence or something else, they now send a. A, um, a counselor out to the house uh, instead of or with a cop rather than, you know, what they do. So so that's an area that I suspect we'll see an awful lot of um, attention paid to. Uh, and it needs to be paid to it. But Yeah, I, I totally think it makes sense. To, I'm not a, an, an abolish the police type libertarian. I'm, I, I look at breaking it apart and go, that makes total sense. Yeah. So... so what are some other things that have stood out to you? I mean, the, you mentioned the judges, and I thought that that was an interesting – maybe here's what I'd ask you. But Gorsuch was the rationalization from conservatives to libertarians forever, uh, saying, okay. you know, but Gorsuch, look at this great justice. Now the argument back is but Gorsuch. Uh, and there are some libertarians who look at, at what he – wrote in the LGBT opinion, for instance, and liked it, and then some that didn't. It depends on, you know, do you like the Mises Institute or not? Um, <laughs> but when you look at Trump's performance overall, he's constantly kind of undercutting himself. And yeah, I think the thing that has stood out to me over the last, since we last talked, over the last month, is first the the willingness to dominate, the use of the word domination, wanting to put 10,000 troops out on the street, right. you know, and then the willingness to lie, just like this rally in Tulsa was like, it was schadenfreude for everybody because he cares so much about the vanity and the crowd size. And like, they had these million tickets, which a bunch of teenagers like bought these tickets. So it's like TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. TikTok teens buying tickets to 
bamboozle the Trump campaign, troll him back. He walks out a defeated man. He had 6,000 people there. Nickelback had sold 7,000 tickets the year before. You know, it, and, <laughs> and so everybody's just kind of laughing at this. I think, because I think it was 16,000. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Either way, it's hilarious <laughs> because it's just yeah. like. It's a long ways away from a million. It, it, it just, it, everybody sort of got a good laugh out of it. And then you you see people on your Facebook timeline parroting what Brad Pascal, who I think will be fired before Bob Barr. Uh, I, I agree with you. Basically saying it was the protesters, the violent leftists were preventing people from entering the arena. There's no video of it. There's no photographic evidence that thousands of people were denied entry. You'd think that there would be some photos or video of it. There wasn't. And well, you have to ask what Fox is showing, though. It, right. It, it's literally just pure propaganda from a politician being spit back at myself on Twitter and Facebook. And you just go, can you find some evidence? And they can't, but they still believe it. And it's the intention. It's the most egregious lie that is provably but, but false. here's your problem, Chris. Forever. Yes. Here, this is your problem. Mm-hmm. You, you want to be evidence-based. Yeah. That's Eviden- evidence is irrelevant these yeah, days. Yeah. I mean, it's irrelevant uh, to people about uh, the contagion, uh, you know, COVID. Is it contagious or not? It's irrelevant um, as to whether there were people demonstrating out of the other side there. It's kind of irrelevant uh, to the uh, to a lot of people that um, on the walk across the park, whether um, who did what to whom. I mean, facts are sort of just not relevant anymore. If you aren't personally experiencing it, it's not happening and everyone else is lying right. because you didn't experience right. it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's, it's inconsistent with your, your self-image. Now, I, I, as I think I told you uh, a couple months ago, I saw myself in a video and, and I'm asking myself, who's that old guy with a fat pot? And I, <laughs> and I uh, decided that was inconsistent with my self-image and I lost, I've now lost 22 pounds. But, <laughs> so, yeah, you look great. So some, oh, well, thank you. So sometimes, you know, being inconsistent with the facts is a good thing. <laughs> have, have you ever, I mean, is this just politics and I'm just like growing up and, and kind of, I mean, this is more like a, a Anita Wise counselor here. I mean, is this just how politics has always been? It's just, you know, everybody just think, goes with no, their gut? I, I don't think, uh, hey, you know, I, I think we have in the past had periods where there's sort of a rational dialogue. I, I, I do think that a lot of the issues around the presidency have been building up since Johnson, really, and uh, this issue of power and, and, and the lack of willingness of the Congress to act. And, and you know, when you have um, Congress after Congress after Congress that's split um, so, so much, um, you tend to get used to not moving ahead on anything. And even the handful of times when we've had the presidency and the, both houses in the same hands, um, they have been rendered ineffective by the the tit for tat that goes on from the other side. You know that's the the, the problem with the the uh, all the various rules in the Senate. So um, I, I suspect we'll see a few radical changes in how the Congress governs itself in the next couple of years, particularly if if um, the Senate goes Democrat, which I actually don't think is likely at the moment, and mm. if. Trump were to lose, which I right now would not put money on. Um, notice I said I wouldn't put money. I didn't say I would put money on his winning. I just said I wouldn't put money I'm, on Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. I wouldn't take that. <laughs> but, 
but I, I wouldn't put money on his losing either right now. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I think we've had worse periods. I think um, um, it, it is exceptional, the, the, the issue of COVID. Um, this is the first event that has been truly experienced worldwide by every single living human being in this time period. And it will be the seminal event for your generation globally um, and everyone younger than you. Um, for my generation, Vietnam was the seminal event in the United States. And, um, and yes, there were places that uh, joined in the protests in Europe and other places. And, and, um, and yes, we had protests over the Gulf Wars. And you know, I remember being in Paris uh, probably 20 years ago with my son, uh, maybe 15 years ago, and at a dinner and, and uh, with him, it was late night and my wife, and there, was, there were two, maybe two other French couples in the bistro, it was late, and this elderly couple came over and, and they said, well, we know that, um, are you Americans? And I, we all sort of, yes, and expecting to be you know, volleyed back and forth on the Gulf War or this or that. And they said, well, we like Americans. We remember World War II. We are Jews. Mm. And, and so yeah, that was a great lesson for my son uh, in particular. But uh, I, I don't think there's nothing, there is nothing uh, in history that is like this disease that yeah, will leave an, it will leave an indelible mark on people everywhere, you know. Would you? And that's and that's exceptional. That's that's the issue. That's exceptional, and so it's hard to predict where things are going to go, Chris. Yeah. Would you say that's true for everyone? Because you know, being here in the Midwest on the South Side, surrounded by conservatives, you know, one one Carmelite, the rich part of town on the North Side, he he's a political pundit who deigned to come down to the South Side here and tweeted out, it's like the Wild West down here. Nobody's wearing masks. Nobody the, expect a spike in three months. And I just tweeted back and I'm going to go, dude, it's been like this the entire time. Nobody was wearing masks. But Nobody your, was restaurants, socially- your restaurants were closed. Yeah, right. Your, your businesses were closed. You, people lost their jobs. Uh, and that's true around the planet. You know, yeah. so my son, chef in Australia, um, they closed down two weeks behind us here. Um, they actually opened up a week ahead of us here. They got it under control a little bit better. Um, it will be a seminal event in his life. Um, it was a great opportunity for him to, to see that he could, um, he, that he was resilient. You know, they basically closed down, created a huge business, um, um, a carryout business. And now they iterated again. They're going to buy another uh, out, out restaurant uh, kitchen. So they can continue going on with the carryout business and, you know, prep and everything. So there are going to be a lot of stories like that. And people will, uh, people, everybody will know somebody who died eventually. Maybe not. Maybe you won't. Um, I don't actually know anybody personally who died, but I know people whose, whose parents died. Yeah. And, and, um, and it's everywhere. It's sub-Saharan Africa. It's in, it's across the continent. It's, Every Asian country, every European country, Canada, uh, you cannot name a place. I mean, even I don't I haven't checked to see if Guam has had it. Um, it. It would it would not surprise me because they have a fair amount of ship traffic. So it's it's you know, in South America, for instance, really bad. Like the they, oh, don't, they don't even have ventilators. They just it's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 think, same. I think you're right in that, you know, you take the example of my barber. 
it forever will probably change his perception of government power. You know, oh, I agree with that. For, for some, it it robbed him of something other people didn't have to follow the same rules, and it didn't affect him. So therefore, the government he'll never trust the government in the same in the way that nine eleven was formational for me. I was a true believer through the Iraq War, and then became completely disillusioned. And the yellow cake incident, for instance, completely mm-hmm. forever changed how I view the federal government, how mm-hmm. I view the government in general, and what information they give me. So I don't trust when I see John Bolton talking about this stuff. I am much more critical. So I do think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think in that way, it's, I think it's massively changed the way that people think about their local government think about their communities and their yeah. responsibility yeah. to communities. I think it's, it's, well, it is really, but, have, but it's really good in a lot of ways about that because it does, it does underscore a, a couple of things about our society. One is that we are extremely diverse Two, And this is more important than anything else that, that we really are. Um, we are about as close government to people as you could possibly get all of this stuff goes down to the governors. Uh, you know, Trump can say, I'm going to order this or that. And, the governors say, well, try it. And then they tell, try to tell the mayors and the county officials to do, and they say, well, try it. And, um, and some of the mayors have risen to the occasion. Others have not. Um, you know, it's like we were talking last time of Cuomo, I think kind of rose to the occasion. And it's good for him because there are a lot of people who didn't much like him because he was sort of dictatorial. Now they kind of like the fact that he was dictatorial on this. Well, but, but then you hear about the nursing homes and you go, oh, OK, maybe he. Yeah. <laughs> why, why weren't they regulating those better? Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. And of course, yeah. you got to regulate them. Why, who's who who fell down? What part of the swamp or the bureaucracy? fell down there. But some mayors have responded incredibly well. I mean, this mayor of Atlanta is, seems to be quite well-spoken and and, um, uh, and I don't know how effective she's been. It appears she's been relatively effective. Um, so some governors are terrible. Some governors are lucky. <laughs> you know, it's better to be bad and lucky probably than, than good and not like some of them. Um, you know, Newsom in California, I, I'd say in general, he's He's been both lucky and and uh, response, responsive and responsible. And so I, I think it, it underscores the distributed nature of government and institutions in this country and how uh, lucky we are in many respects not to have someone there who can wave a magic wand and say, we must all do this. You know, we our institutions don't allow it. Foreign Policy Magazine, part of the Council on Foreign Relations, yeah. or not Foreign Policy, Foreign Affairs. Foreign what, Affairs. In their and, latest issue was arguing that federalism is the cause of much of the death in the United States and that if the if the president had taken more power, then it, it could have been much more effectively handled and it just shows how broken the system is. And I'm sitting here going, I'm really glad that we have a completely dis, a, a more dispersed system than other places because – if if you have a German type system where they have a lot more control, or, or France, look at Spain versus Germany. <laughs> you know, yeah. You want Donald well, Trump having yeah. more power than Donald Trump has? Yeah. Well, and uh, now it's it's and it's worth underscoring again. These are not societies as diverse as our society. And right. They, yes, they have a wall. They have now the influx of immigrants, but as societies, they are not very diverse. And it's true of the Germans. It's true of the Spaniards. It's true of all, the French. Um, 
they have an immigration issue, but not a, they, they just don't have any diversity to speak of. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, I, I'm, I can't, I'm trying to remember who wrote that. As you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a member of the council on foreign relations and speaking of the swamp. Yes. <laughs> I, I just, uh, my friend Pete seat just got in and I said, congratulations. I look forward to seeing you at the, the Bilderberg, uh, event. <laughs> or, 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 yeah. Um, well, of course that rings, you know, I, I'm sure I told you the story way back when about the, when, yeah, George Bush was running the first time and, you know, against Reagan and Connolly and everybody else. And I was the issue director Yeah, um, that he was attacked for being a member of the council on foreign relations. And, uh, and um, uh, what was the other one? It, anyway, it was trilateral totally commission by a trilateral commission. Yeah, yeah. Totally establishment. So, yeah. Um, it was the editor. It was the, the, the first one I got to, and I was just like, really? So predictable foreign affairs. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, let, let's let's we got to wrap up. Unfortunately, because yeah. I have a hard stop at uh, yeah. around three thirty. So we always end with you know the, the Diner's Guide to DC. <coughs> Excuse me, great it's, restaurants around DC. Do you have anything or anything that you're cooking that you're enjoying? Well, it, well you know, unfortunately, I'm I'm not, I, haven't been, I w- went up to DC a couple of weeks ago to get uh, a doctor's appointment and go get my hair cut. Thank God. But um, so I haven't been doing many restaurants, so we don't have a lot of carryout around here mm, on yeah. the island. But what I, I well, I do have an observation, which is so I have been coming to this island, and this relates to food, believe it or not, for 60, 65 years since mm. I was a kid. And um, I've crabbed, I've fished, I've run up and down the beaches. I've lived, uh, I've had this home for about 30 years and rebuilt it about 10 years ago. And, you know, it's kind of all glass. I can see all around me. And, um, uh, and my wife and I sold our place in DC, uh, a year and a half ago. And, and in theory moved down here, lock, stock and barrel full time, except we have an, now an apartment in DC because <laughs> we can really keep our toes out of the swamp. You know, I got to keep them cool. And we have a lot of business there and friends and all that. But, and, um, but the reality is we spent, I spent probably two days a week in Washington, all of that first 15 months. And my wife would do it same. She had board meetings, I had board meetings, you know, this and that. So we were never really here to see the seasons change. And I really had this realization now that I've been stuck here for <laughs> about 14 or 15 weeks. You know, I have a 300 foot dock. I walk out it every morning, I had three crab traps and, uh, first time I put them in about a month ago, I didn't get anything for a day or two. And then I got one little crab and then I, the next day I got a couple little crabs and then I got a sort of a medium sized crab and then, then a medium sized male crab and a female saw they were doing their thing and, <laughs> and, it was, and, and she was a soft shell. So I hate to admit I took it and I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and um, you brute. And, yeah. And then, but we've watched the crabs get bigger and bigger and more and more. And, you know, every day I get about a dozen and a half off the dock and I steam them. And some days I build them up and I pluck them. But I will say that my favorite is soft shell crabs. And I do some really great recipes. I do the standard um, uh, uh, sauteing or sometimes with, uh, uh, you know, Grilling. Uh, my favorite, though, is to take a sauce shell crab, grill it quickly on both sides, and make a sauce with ginger cream and um, and uh, white port. Boil it down, 
So you have this ginger cream sauce, and mm. then you pour that on the crab, and you top it with uh, uh, large capers that have been fried until they're crisp, and then uh, sliced green onions, and it is to die for. That sounds so, absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's delicious. <laughs> and, and my mouth is watering. I know. I have to go get myself some sauce shell crabs. I have. I have <laughs> so yeah. I don't have a restaurant report, but come to my restaurant. <laughs> I, I'm going to, yeah. I love crab, and you know, we're I'm here landlocked in Indianapolis, and so like imitation crab is the closest you really can get, or frozen. Mm. So you know, oh, that sounds so good. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine it's got to be kind of nice to be a little stuck. I mean, I, that's one thing I've enjoyed about it this is. is that you you get stuck. You, I, I am not mad about being stranded a little bit for for a couple months because I realize like, oh. Now, now my motor's kind of back and I'm rested and I'm like, oh, I can't yeah. wait to get, get back to life. But, you know. Well, I, I think the big problem is everybody thinks, uh, at least they think somehow I'm supposed to be on vacation. But, you know, I get on these damn Zoom calls starting at <laughs> 8.30 or 9 in the morning. I, I may have two or three on my calendar. And by the end of the day, I've had 10. <sighs> you know, it's like a, a bird with a mouth open. <laughs> feed me. Feed me. Yeah. Stick, a, stick a meeting in here. You have one meeting. Oh, let's have a side, a side meeting. Oh, I don't envy you. Yeah. 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 For that. Yeah. Well, you do something similar, I'm sure. So. Yeah. So I can't wait to get back to normal. I know. I, it, will it, do you think it'll ever get back there? Uh, yeah. Over time. I, you know, I don't think people will be doing restaurants quite the way they'd like yet. Uh, one last thing though, that they're doing in Australia that I think is, is brilliant is the government is limiting, um, diners to 90 minutes, an hour and a half. Mm. And what that does, and then the restaurateurs have to enforce it. And what it does means that they can get three or four turns. So they may only be allowed 25% of their normal capacity, but if they can get three or four turns, um, they can make all the money they used to make. And, and again, my son has said in the last week, they made more money than they ever made Wow! because of the turns. And maybe we get some of these other local governments to do the same. Hmm. Yeah, when anyway. you when when your dining choices are steak and shake or Culver's, you don't typically stay for ninety minutes. So. Ninety minutes, you don't take. No, no. All right. Okay. Well, it's been great to talk to you, and uh, we'll have to do this in the next two or three weeks, and, and not let it be a month. That's my fault. I apologize, and uh, love talking. Well, we're to you. we're both busy, and we like doing it. Yep, this is great. So thanks right. so much for joining us here on the program. Thank you to our patrons. And, uh, hey, if you need face masks, go to the wall store and uh, click the link at we're libertarians.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.